Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We're Thanks preaching you. today out of Isaiah 53. And so if you want to turn there, I got a lot to say and three services to say it. So I may have to combine them all. Just every hour, more people are just going to come in. <laughs> um, we started this sermon series last week, as it were, uh, How Will We Know It's Him, with a message that he will be the greater king out of Psalms 72. The question has been asked and was asked for eons before Jesus showed up. How will we know what he looks like? How will we know him? How will we be sure that he's the Messiah, the Christ? And the Old Testament, as I explained last week, is literally a, a story from front to back about what Christ would be, what he would look like, what he would accomplish, what he would do. And Psalm 72 speaks of one of the most significant things that he is, the most significant thing that he is, which he is the greater king. And we, we covered that. And Psalm 72 says he's the king of righteousness, the king of peace. He's the king of kings and commoners. And ultimately, he's the king that cares for us. And so if you haven't heard that or watched that sermon, I would recommend you go back and listen to it. Uh, this is a standalone, but that's not the only reason why Jesus came. Jesus didn't just come to be the greater king. He came to be the greater servant also, which is the name of this sermon. If you're taking notes, the greater servant is the name of this text. Jesus, it says in Matthew 28, or 2028 20, says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not just as a king, but as a servant to give his life so that we might have life. Amen? We serve a God, as I've spoken of last week and many weeks before, that has so inclined himself, that means stooped, down so as to serve us so that we could be better, better, greater through his service than we ever could have been otherwise. Y'all understand we were destined to a sinner's hell prior to Jesus making the sacrifice that he made. We serve a God who had no expectation to do it, no requirement to do it, that came out of heaven and inclined himself, bowed down, got low enough to lift us up so that we might have the hope of eternal life. This is service at its highest level, the sacrifice of self for the betterment of someone else, to do only that which the master commands them to do. This is the purpose of a servant, to, to set his own will aside and to walk according to the commands of the master. That's why you'll hear Jesus in several places in the New Testament say, I do only what the Father tells me. I only do what I hear him say. Amen? Because he is the greater servant, subject to the master God, submitted himself humbly so that we could be lifted up where we had no right to be lifted up, where we deserve judgment. 
God served us, gave us loving kindness and grace. And if I didn't say anything else, I feel like we could walk away from here with more meat to chew on than we could chew and swallow this week or next week or the week after that. Amen? Sometimes it's the simple truths that make us understand how magnificent it is. The greatest theological statement I've ever heard is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can dissect that all of your life. You can mentally prepare. You can submit to that teaching every moment of every day and meditate on it, and you're never going to get to the true understanding of how deeply and passionately God loves you based just on that statement. It's the beautiful, simple truths that has saved us. Amen? And I think that's lovely. Jesus came to serve us. Paul wrote in Galatians this. Galatians 4, 4 through 6 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that He might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Why do you read this text? Let me explain it to you. Jesus left heaven, according to this text, to serve us. Born of a woman to serve us. Born under and subject to the law to serve us. Redeemed us by serving us. And made us family through that service. We serve the greater servant. Amen? And I think that's... That's the crux of what I want to talk about today. How Jesus inclined himself by extending grace to us so that we might know. Isaiah 52, starting in 13 through 15, kind of is a summation, if you will, of what we talked about last week, that he's the greater king. But it says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up. This is Isaiah talking about Jesus. He will be high and lifted up and really exalted. And certainly he has been. Can I get an amen? Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations, which he has, Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. Why? Because he's the king of kings and commoners. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. So Isaiah, leading into 53, because it's necessary that we understand context in all things. In 52, he says, listen, Jesus is going to be the king. But let me tell you what else he is. He's going to be a servant to you. He's going to be a suffering servant to you. There's three points I want to make today in regard to who Jesus would be in Isaiah 53. He would be born from a servant's position is the first one. Who has believed our message? So in verse 1, he's saying, 
How many of you guys believe what I just told you? So I would ask, how many of you guys believe what I told you last week, what I've just read to you now, that Jesus is king? So that's what he's asking. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Those who accepted that message. For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground, he has no stately form or majesty that he should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Like I said, this verses one through three say that he was born into a servant's position, that he came from nothing. He was a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Isaiah 11.1 1 confirms this when he says a shoot will spring from the stem, which is the root of Jesse. Jesse was the son of David. So he's saying, listen, he's, he's part of the root, the lineage of David. But that root will be have been so diminished that it would be this. It would be a root out of parched ground, and he would grow up a tender shoot, which means he was easily trampled upon. He was easily broken. He came as a man. Did you know the king that we serve is not easily trampled on? But because he came as a man, he is easily trampled on, sensitive, tender to the things that humans would be sensitive and tender to. He came in that position so that we might know him as a sapling coming forth from, from the ground but not just the ground, a parched ground. So he would come from nothing, be nothing. Israel would have been a parched ground at this time. It, by the time Jesus is born, it'll be 400 years from the time the last prophet spoke to God's people. They were spiritually dry. They were dying to take a, a drink of the majesty of the God that we get to spend time with every single day. Jesus' root came out of that. He came to a throne that no longer existed. You ever wonder why a couple of the Gospels write out His lineage? So that you can see that His origins started in kingship. And His origin, or in His finish, ends in kingship. Amen? But he first came as this child, as this tender shoot from a throne that was so diminished, nobody recognized him. How would you think a universal king, a creator of the universe king, would have come to earth had you had no access or understanding of Scripture or prophecy. I imagine you'd think him come much like the Jews did. That he would come, he would be majestic, he would be riding on top of a beautiful chariot covered by the most beautiful horses that you've 
ever seen, manes blowing in the breeze like a hayfield on fire, wielding and yielding a shield and a sword made by artisans like the world has never seen, strong, chiseled, so powerful that his very presence would cause other kings and men to fall in reverence at his feet. This is what they expected. And if we didn't have the word of God, this is what we would expect too, but he didn't come that way. He was born, as I said, out of Galatians a minute ago. He was born under the law as a child to a woman so that we could become family. He was born of humble origin so that we could become family. He was nailed to a cross and died humbly submitting to death so that we could become family. He rose again and was resurrected so that we could eternally be family. And let me tell you, that's something the church ought to get excited about because he didn't have to. All of this stuff, the fact that he was a tender shoot, that he came out of parched ground, none of that, that he had a no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. This doesn't necessarily mean that he was unattractive, but there was nothing that just drew people to him. He wasn't stately. He wasn't beautiful. There, he wasn't, probably wasn't what most charismatic, like most people would consider charismatic. But you know what he had? You know what people are really drawn to? Humble service, committed hearts, and conviction. That's exactly who he was. And it says this, because of all of those things, because he came from it, nothing. A throne that no longer existed. Nothing specifically special to attract people to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. We turned our back on him. Because he didn't come as that king we pictured in our mind. They didn't come because he didn't come like they pictured in their mind. And so he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. I would think Jesus would be a man of joy. Wouldn't you? I mean, he knew eternally where he was going. I am a man of joy because even if I got cut down right now at this pulpit, I know where I'm going. It's pretty hard to get me in an unhappy space. But it says Jesus, who's more perfect than I am, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Does that seem contradictory to you? It isn't because the sorrow and grief that he carried wasn't due to his circumstance. It was due to the fact that he came. He would do all the things we're about to talk about and people would still reject him. There would still be some that would be eternally lost. That, even though I'm a person of joy, causes me grief. You want to know what keeps Pastor Jim awake at night? the thing that causes me to cry over some of you and the people in this community? Because I know there's some that just won't. 
no matter what Jesus did, no matter what he accomplished, how much he gave of himself, they just won't. And I believe God weeps today for that. Amen? So what did he do? What was his purpose? Which is number two, he would be born for a servant's purpose. His purpose was to serve. Verse four starts like this, four through nine. Surely our griefs he himself bore. I want you to listen to this. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people due to who the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with, with, he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Three things I want to say about this text. And you need to listen to all of them. Verse 4 and 5 mention our five times. Two verses says our. You know why Jesus was smitten, strict, stricken, why he grieved our griefs, why he carried our griefs and our sorrows, why he was pierced, why he was crushed, why he was chastened for us. It was our problem to deal with, our judgment that, des that we deserve, not his. But he came as a servant and carried the load that wasn't his so that we wouldn't have to carry it. We serve a God that is just. And because he is just, because he says, if you do this, if you sin, there has to be death. That, that's just the way it has to be. And so the punishment of sin is death. But praise God, we serve a God of grace that substituted our death for the death of his son. And his son was such a servant that he submitted to the will of the master so that we wouldn't, but instead could carry his righteousness. Imagine such a thing. A judge saying you're guilty. And at the same time say, but I'll take your punishment. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, listen, I know you did every single thing you've been charged, that's been charged against you. Every single thing, both by birth and by action, you are sinful. And you're guilty. And you're judged. 
But if you'll confess the name of Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then I'm going to take that on myself and you shall be justified. Not just have it removed from you like it's still on your record, but have it so completely removed from you, it's as though you never committed the offense in the first place. Man, we need that in our life. If I look back at the stuff that I've done and now know that God says He doesn't remember those things, that He's removed them as far as the east is from the west, that He's placed them behind Himself, that He's thrown those offenses into the sea never to be concerned with again, guess what? I'm free, and I'm free indeed. But I'm not free because I set me free. I'm free because the greatest servant that ever walked the face of the earth set me free. Whew. Somebody about to get saved in here. It might be me. Let me tell you, God is good. So good that 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that He might become, we might become, the righteousness of God in him. I don't understand that. Why would he need to do it? Verse 6 tells us all we need to know. He did it because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. I told you there were a couple things out of this, this, this particular passage I want you to listen to. The next one is that he went and took your punishment while being innocent of your punishment. Why is that necessary to say again? Because he was silent. Get that. A man who's innocent of a charge has the right to plead for justice. A man who's guilty of a charge only has a right to plead for mercy. So Jesus had a right to plead for justice, which means we should have accepted that sin. But he didn't plead for justice because he knew if he went to the slaughter quietly like a lamb, that through his not declaring his own justice, we would be justified. God, that's so good. That's so good. How do we not live our lives like this is true? How do we come to church, sit in our chair on Sunday, say amen, get all excited, take our notes, do all the stuff, leave our Bible in our back seat till next Sunday, and live like we've lost our mind Sunday afternoon through Saturday night? Knowing that this is true. We can't. Amen? About to get sideways in here. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. And finally, in all of this, in all of His service, the fact of how He was revealed, 
all the things that he did, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, chastened, scourged for our healing. Get a hold of that. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go look up the word healing in the Scripture. And I'm not just talking about open the Bible and say, oh yeah, that says healing. I mean, do a word study on the word healing. You know what that word means? That word means wholeness. Listen, it's not just your diseases and infirmities He took from you. He made you whole in your mind, your body, your spirit. If you're broken, Jesus Christ is the wholeness you're looking for. If you're trapped by your past, Jesus Christ is the wholeness you are looking for. He received a punishment so that you could walk out of your broken state and walk into the wholeness of who He is and who He has created you to be. So why did He do it? I could easily say because He loved you. And I'd be right. But number three, He was born for the Master's pleasure. This messes me up. I've shared this with you before. Verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Does that mess anybody else up? We don't serve a sadistic guy. You, well, let me be pointed. We don't serve a sadistic God. So why would God be pleased to crush his son? Because he knew that it's the only way that he could create your ending to look like his beginning plan which is what he says in Isaiah. He said, I'll make your beginning or your ending like your beginning. What does the beginning look like? The beginning looked like the normative behavior of God walking daily with his people. He created you for fellowship, not just for each other, with each other, but with him. And that's what this word, the Old Old Testament and New Testament, every work of Christ Jesus was designed for a singular purpose, to get you from your end back to His beginning. What do we do with all this information? What am I to do with it? I'm to remember it. I'm to meditate on it. That we serve not just the greater King, but the greater servant. And as an act of remembrance, I've asked Pastor Rick to lead us in communion.